So if um, this morning, uh, rather than me standing here for the next half hour talking to this whole group, you and I were to wander over to the cafe and I was to ask you this question and we were to talk about it for the next half hour. What is it that most speaks into your life? What do you think you would say? In other words, what are the most influential words, the dominating words in your life that affect the way you think, the way you feel, the way you speak, the way you're motivated, the way you behave, and ultimately the way, if you're a person of faith, the way you pray? You see, words are so important. And whether sitting here this morning you would consider yourself to be a person of faith or not, for each of us, the words that are spoken into our life, and more importantly, the words that we hear, receive, digest, and believe, they deeply impact us. They affect how we interpret our past, they affect how we experience and we live our present, and they affect how we see our future. If you go back to the question that I just asked, what is it that most speaks into your life? You might point to different things. You might point to certain principles or values that were present in your family growing up. You might actually have the opposite reaction. It might be that there are things that happened in your time of growing up that are specifically things that you don't want to replicate in your life today. It may be that you, you have a faith and it may be that you look to the Bible or church teaching or tradition to guide you and to sustain you. Or it may be something else that is the dominating words in your life. But for most of us, whether we care to admit it or not, the true answer to that question is much more complex. Because the real answer lies deep inside us. With the words and the messages that have been spoken to us and have become ingrained and rooted in us throughout our lives. And as life progresses, we often hear new words and new messages through the lens of the old words that we've heard. We filter those words as we hear them. And for each of us, we've got, if you like, this mixed internal narrative or a playlist that's going on inside of us. And that narrative influences all our responses to life and its circumstances. And that narrative from multiple sources that we've absorbed over many years, they, it affects everything. It affects our attitude to work, to relationships, to government, to taxes, to sex, to church, immigration, poverty, wealth, the old, the young, marriage, singleness. But probably more importantly than any of those things, they deeply impact how we see ourselves and ultimately how we see God. And what I want to explore a bit this morning is a tiny portion of the Bible to help us to think about how, how does the Bible help us in this journey, in this journey of words in our life. So I'm going to read just very briefly from the book of Psalms. Uh, 
And the book of Psalms is a, it's a collection, it's in the Bible, and it's a collection of about uh, it's 150 prayers and hymns that were written thousands of years ago. And they describe our relationship with God, they talk about God himself and our reaction to him. And so I'm going to start at the very beginning of the Psalms, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And so this morning, I want to look at two things. The first thing I want to look at is an invitation. This invitation to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. And the second thing I want to talk about is the effect. That if we respond to that invitation, what it will do. And the Bible says that it will mean that we will be like a tree planted by streams of living water. Now I've known what I'm going to speak on this morning for some time. And, um, and even the message that I'm hoping to convey. And I've, I've spent this week preparing uh, the detail. And I've really struggled with it. And I was trying to work out why I was struggling with it. And I think the conclusion that I came to was that, is the fear that I have that this morning is that what I will convey to anybody in this room is that there are simplistic answers to the issues of life that we face. What I'm not saying this morning, for every problem and challenge that you have in life, there's a corresponding Bible verse that will sort it out. Now, I don't know if I've been getting it right over the years, but that hasn't been my experience. See, I think there's a difference between something that's simplistic and something that is simple. The Bible is not simplistic, but much of it is simple. And if we are able, as we move on from this morning, to somehow get a glimpse of what the Word of God might do in us, it could revolutionise that narrative out of which you and I are living each day. So first of all, the invitation. So the invitation is quite simple, really, isn't it? To meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. That's quite simple. And I'm sure everyone in this room would say, yeah, that's what I do, day and night, you know? In the break that we've just had, I'm sure that if, if you had turned to the person next to you and you'd said, hello, my name is Bob, and I'm a carpenter, and Bob had turned around to you and said, I'm Bob. I meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. You might, if there was a, another seat next to you, you might have taken another step sideways. Um, because it's not what we tend to think of. And what I'm not suggesting this morning is that um, 
at the end of this morning, we all walk out of this room, check into the nearest monastery or convent, close the door, throw away the key, and that's it. I have to say there's times in my life where that's quite tempting, but uh, that's, a, that's life. But you see, the invitation in Psalm 1 is much more simple than that. It's an invitation to each of us to take steps and to try to develop a way of living that allow God's truths to go in here and make the journey to here. That's all it's saying. To penetrate our minds and our hearts and in that to be changed. That is what it's saying. And when in Psalm 1, the, the psalmist talks about the law of the Lord. He's not just talking about commands. He's talking about God's commands, his promises, his assurances. In fact, all that is revealed in Scripture. That is what the law of the Lord is in Psalm 1. And whether you or I admit it or not, the truth is that everyone here has that existing narrative that I just talked about. Those words inside of us, both positive and negative, that have informed and shaped the way we act and react in life. And secondly, on a daily basis, you and I are bombarded by more words and information and messages from a whole variety of sources. From family, from friends, from what we read, from what we watch on TV, from what we see on the internet. Not to mention the plethora of messages and images that we get through social media. And I'm not even going to dare this morning to try to claim I know what the latest social media is. Um, my children have, have educated me sufficiently to know that I know nothing. And that apparently, when I declared to them that WhatsApp was one of the wonders of the world, the fact that I was able to send a message and receive a message from a whole group of people at the same time with a picture, and I thought this was an amazing thing, the eyebrows went up, and the, the despairing look came over me, and they said, Dad, it's old people and Christians who like WhatsApp. <laughs> so having just, having just crossed the Rubicon of 50 a few months ago, I now fit into both categories, and, um, but I have to say, I think WhatsApp's amazing. <laughs> but you see, for each of us, with this existing narrative inside of us that I've mentioned, and these messages that we're bombarded with day and night, they constantly are seeking to influence the values that we hold how we view success, how we should see others, how we should look, how we should dress, how we might achieve significance, worth and dignity. And it's in the midst of all that that Psalm 1 is encouraging us to meditate on the law of the Lord. So what does that look like? Well, it's basically it's anything that we do that allows for the letting in of God's truth into us to affect us and change us. And for each of us, that may be different. 
Now, just for a moment, I want you to just think for a second about a current issue of, say, social inequality or uh, justice. It might be racial inequality. It might be modern-day slavery. And think about the ways that you have come to know things about that, how you've been influenced. It may have come up as a, on the news. You see something on the news or on a news website. It might be there's a particular documentary about the subject that you, you see and you choose to watch that, to be better informed and to know more. Or it may be that the issue is the subject in someone's life in a drama or a film that you watch and how they've been affected by that issue. And then I want you to think about how are you affected by those different ways of getting that information? See, the news article, it informs us. It tells us something. The documentary takes us a bit deeper to intentionally look into that. But the drama takes us sometimes to a whole different place where our minds and our emotions connect in a way that we've never previously connected before. I remember when I was growing up in my uh, teenage years that probably the, the core social justice issue that was most talked about was um, apartheid in South Africa. It's an issue that was regularly talked about on, on the news, in newspapers. There were regular documentaries about what was going on, uh, about the plight of the majority black population in South Africa at the time, and about the anti-apartheid movement. And so I knew quite a lot about it. I was quite, um, quite political growing up, and so I knew quite a lot about it. And then in 1987, a film came out, and the film was called Cry Freedom. And, uh, and it was the story, a true story, of, uh, focused on two men. One was a man called Donald Woods, who was a, uh, a journalist, a white journalist in South Africa. And his friendship with a man called Stephen Biko, who was a civil rights activist in South Africa in the 1970s. And it's a, it's a dramatic story, but the story, um, partway through, it tells the story of how Stephen Biko was killed in police custody. And there was something about seeing that journey where I wasn't being informed, but in some way was experiencing it, that changed me. And at the end, and this was 31 years ago, I watched this film, and I still remember vividly where I was sitting and the cinema it was in and what I saw. And at the end, what happened was that they, they played the song, which was a freedom song at the time. It later became the South African National Anthem. And what came up on the screen was a list and it gradually went up of every individual who had died in police custody between 1963 and 1987. And at the end of that song, and as the last list, last name came up, which was only a couple of months before the film had, the Cry Freedom had come out, you couldn't hear a sound in that cinema, in that room. See, something of the truth 
had gone in. And somehow that's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about how do we take steps in our life that allow the truth to go in. God's truth, his grace, his wonder, his beauty, his majesty. Because his desire is not that we know it up here, but that we know it in the deepest part of our soul. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, he was a German pastor in the 1930s and, for, and 1940s, um, opposed to the um, Nazi regime. He ultimately died in a concentration camp, and he was part of the underground church in Germany at the time, and he ran an underground seminary for pastors. And he wrote this, and it was the best description that I've been able to come up with for meditating on God's word. The word of scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That's all. Do not ask, how shall I pass it on? But what does it say to me? Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. And that is God's desire for every single person in this room. We live in a world which actually wants to take possession of us. And God's heart is that his truth and his word would go right in and take possession of you and me as we meditate on his word. And you may be sitting there thinking, this all sounds great and it's all lovely, but I'm not sure this meditating malarkey is for me. It might be for the spiritual types, whatever the spiritual type is. That's presumably anyone but you. But I found really helpful reading something that I heard um, Rick Warren say. Rick Warren's a pastor um, of a, a church in California. And he said this, if you know how to worry, is there anyone in this room who doesn't know how to worry? Well, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. We meditate every day about the, the things of life and what is going on and every day. All we're doing when we meditate is taking the things that we worry about and maybe putting in its place a piece of truth and allow that to go round and round in our heads. And we can do it in all sorts of ways. You might take a single verse or a word, write it down, put it on your phone. And over the next few days or weeks or months, read it and read it and read it until it goes in. It might be that there's a song that you, that, that particularly on a Sunday when you're here, it particularly says something to you. 
Well, the desire in the songs that we sing here, the desire is that they reflect the truth of Scripture. So it might be that you would play that again and again and again. You might want to take a story from one of the Gospels. The Gospels are the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Read one of those stories and put yourself in it. The woman caught in adultery. Any encounter with, between Peter and Jesus is, is a sure winner. Mary Magdalene's encounter when she was chosen as the first person to see Jesus after he rose from the dead. It may be that you might want to take one of the parables. The lost sheep. Susie spoke about it a few months ago here, about the lost sheep. Just meditate on that for the next month. The parable that says that the good shepherd, Jesus, would leave the 99 to find the one. Meditate on that for a month. That you are the one that Jesus would leave the 99 football to seek out. Come back and tell me in a month, it didn't work. Nothing happened. And then maybe write it down. I um, uh, A couple of years ago, I started, I'd previously had done, sort of journaled, uh, used a journal quite a lot, and then just got out of the habit of it. And I, um, I started about, about two years ago, just over two years ago, I started keeping a journal again. And so any little, little things that would come, they might mean, if anyone read it, this is completely incoherent. You would read it and think, what on earth? He's saying that's revelation. But the thing is, is there things written down here, there might be little scriptures, little words, whatever it might be, that have spoken to me. And a few months ago, we were getting a new carpet done, put down in our front room, and so we moved everything out of the front room into the, into the, uh, the next room. And... Uh, all got piled in there and on that day I lost this now I have to say if you came up here today and you grabbed that and you ran out the door I'd let you go I mean you're running out with the word of God so you know there, there you go if you came up on stage and grabbed this off me now I can't say without certainty that I would remain here you wouldn't make it to the car park. And that, that, I lost this for three days. And um, it was in the early hours of the morning, I was sorting stuff out. Donna had gone to bed, and, and I was in there, and I found it. And I, I tell you, it was like found, finding a, a long-lost friend. Because in here, they were the words. They're just words. But the important thing is that they're words that meant something to me. And so before we go on, I just want to take a few moments to read out some words. Some words that are found, there's a book in the Bible called Ephesians. It's basically it's a letter written by a man called Paul who met Jesus, was revolutionized in his life. And he wrote this letter to a church that he planted and, um, a number of years later. And in the first couple of chapters, it talks about the blessings that we have um, in have, knowing Christ. So for those of you here this morning who 
would consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, it's time just to reflect a bit on the blessings that we have. For those of you that may not consider yourself to have a faith, I'd also invite you just to reflect on that. Because it describes some of the things that are the blessings that God has in store for you if you choose to take the invitation to follow him. So these are just words I've picked out. You can have to take my word, you could take my word for it, that they're in there, or you could go and read it during the week. But these are all words that are in the first couple of chapters. And this is what God thinks of you. So you want to close your eyes or however you best would receive. You are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. You are adopted. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are with hope. You are guaranteed an inheritance. You are rich in him. You are alive. You are saved. You are God's handiwork. You have been brought near to God. You are reconciled. And you have access to the Father. Now, if there's a word that particularly jumped out for you there, I'd really encourage you to not let it go. It might be a word that you just think, yes, that's for me. Or equally, it could even be a word that actually it jarred when I said it. Either way, what I would encourage you to do is to write it down, pop it down on your phone, whatever, whatever helps you to remember, and spend some time reflecting on it. When there's an opportunity at the end for for prayer, it might be that you would want to receive some prayer about that. You see, God wants our experience of his word to be deeply personal. And I don't mean this in an individualistic or a a self-centered way. I mean in a way that transforms the way we see ourselves and ultimately the way we live our lives. God's invitation is to meditate on his law day and night. I next want to um, briefly look at the, the effect. What is it that will happen if we respond to that invitation? And the effect is this, that you will be like a tree planted by streams of living water or of water. Just to remind you, blessed is the one whose delight is in the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. See, this is an amazing picture. 
that if we do this, what happens is we send, we're like the tree planted by a river. It's been deliberately planted by a river and the roots go down and they're fed by the water that comes up. There's a phrase that's often used in the Bible, in season and out season. What it means is, effectively what it's saying is, your sense of well-being, your sense of knowing who you are, will not no longer be controlled by your external circumstances. You will know the love of God, the sustenance of God, the restoration of God in bad times, out of season, and in good times, in season. And the promise in Psalm 1 is that whether you are out of season or in season, your leaves won't wither. You will still know the sustenance of God, even in the darkest of times. And as I look around the room this morning, I don't know every here, everyone here, but I do know many people in this room. And I can see people in this room who have demonstrated this. Not because they have achieved external success necessarily. I'm not saying they haven't achieved external success, but that's not where they have demonstrated this. But they've, they've, they've demonstrated it by navigating through the challenges and the pains and even the failures of life. And they've come out of it knowing who they are. They've come out of it knowing that they're chosen and holy and blameless, that they're adopted and redeemed, that they're forgiven, that they're with hope, that they are guaranteed an inheritance, that they are rich in hope in him, they are alive, they are saved, they are God's handiwork, they are brought near to God, they are reconciled, and they have access to the Father today and forevermore. And I think that's something worth seeking after. So for some of you here this morning, there may be a choice to be made as to whether to in enter into that place. Maybe to enter into that place for the very first time, to seek to follow Jesus, to choose that. But for some, you may have been following Jesus for many years. But there's a choice to be made as to whether to enter into the full truth of his word. You see, if your internal sustenance ultimately comes from your financial stability, your good health, your popularity, what you do for your leisure, your home comforts, even your family and friends, what happens when those things disappear? See, you're your reason for being then disappears. Because we, you will have allowed, I will have allowed, something that may be a good or a neutral thing to become an ultimate thing in my life. And what God is saying is, the way to find that contentment that's found in those things is ultimately not to seek them, but to seek him. And I want to re-emphasize, I'm not talking here about a quick 
fixed solution to life's problems. And I'm also not wanting, wanting to sentimentalize the issues of life. But what I am saying is I believe that the answers to the profound issues that you and I face as individuals, within our families, within our community, and within our nation, are found in the heart of God's truth and nowhere else. Because the, the contentment that this world offers is largely circumstantial. And if we dedicate our lives to seeking that happiness and that contentment, the irony is, it's unlikely we're going to find it. Isn't it better that we would seek to find it inside? Where God has promised to be with us. Because we live in a, in a culture that has more comfort, more technological advancement than the world has ever known. And yet, as I look around, I see a culture that is fundamentally discontented. As I come into close, I want to just read you a couple of verses from the book of Romans. So another book um, written to one of the churches in the New Testament. And I'm going to read two verses, and then I'm going to read how those verses affected an individual. So first of all, the verses. Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I suspect that... Um, the majority of people in this room uh, this morning would consider themselves um, believers. And I assume that for those of us who are, we would say that's true. The question that God asks to each of us, though, is how far has that gone in? And I just want to read out to you the words that Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, spoke or wrote down when he talked about reading this. Come, my brothers and sisters, are you persuaded of the love of God? Are you intelligently persuaded? Not that God is love, but that God loves you. Are you fully persuaded of the love, the love of the Father who chose us because he would choose us? For nothing but his, but his love, the love of Jesus, who bowed himself from his glory, that he might redeem us from our shame. The love of the Holy Ghost who has quickened us and who comes to dwell in us, that we might, may by and by dwell with him. Are you persuaded of this love of God for you? Happy man, happy woman, who can truly say, I am persuaded that God 
loves me. I have thought it over. I have fully considered it. I have thoroughly weighed it. And I have come to this persuasion that this, the love of God, is shed abroad in my heart. That's the effect of meditating on the word of God. And I suspect the reason I read out Charles Spurgeon rather than my own words is I am still on a journey towards the revelation that Charles Spurgeon had. But I think the question for us this morning is, well, what sort of relationship do I want to have with God and his word? Because the two are inextricably linked. If we get what God says in his word about himself, about this world, and about us, then we get God himself. And interestingly, in the book of Jeremiah, almost the identical words are used when talking about a person whose life is entrusted to God. It says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. If you're able, would you like to stand? 